Welcome to the Scott Ross Discipleship Podcast. Scott has been discipling men and women for more than 20 years and is passionate about helping you grow into the full measure of the maturity of Christ. Grab your Bible, something to write with, and your favorite warm beverage, and let's listen as Scott takes us deeper in our walk with God. Okay, we also see that the Holy Spirit tells the prophet what to say. Then the Spirit of the Lord came on me and he told me, you were to say, this is what the Lord says, this is what you are thinking, house of Israel, and I know the thoughts that arise in your mind. So here the Holy Spirit is empowering and feeding the message to the prophet. Okay, the Holy Spirit is also uh, involved in the life of Israel uh, throughout the book of Ezekiel. So, uh, for instance, uh, Ezekiel 36, 26-27. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will remove your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I will place my spirit within you and cause you to follow my statutes and carefully observe my ordinances. We read this a little bit earlier. And this is a promise that appears in this sequence of actions that Yahweh is going to undertake for the sake of His own name to ensure that His name is never going to be profaned again. And so he's going to do a number of things, and this is in the list of the stuff that is, is stated. But what's crazy is we have an unprecedented statement here. So it's, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. But then here he says, I will place my spirit within you. It's not that just your nature is going to be different. I'm literally going to be indwelling you. Correct. Correct. But this is unprecedented. This is a big deal. It's going to be that the driving force behind our will and our moral choices is going to be God himself. In Ezekiel 37, 14, this is the uh, second occurrence of Um, this idea. I will put my spirit within you and you will live and I will settle you in your own land. Then you will know that I'm the Lord. I have spoken and I will do it. This is the declaration of the Lord. Now, this comes at the end of this discussion of the dry bones being given life, which we're going to discuss that in a moment. But this this is in that context of the Lord breathing which will obviously has ramifications for us, into the dry bones, and they have life. And um, we're going to see that the dry bones, by the way, are identified as none other than the exiles who are in Babylon. They are the dry bones that have no life. And he, they're in despair, and he's going to give them life, and he's going to pronounce this uh, salvific oracle to them. I'm going to save you. I'm going to revive you. I'm going to restore you, and I'm going to put my spirit in you, and you are going to live. Which, remember what I said before, if you were in exile, this is the question, right? Has God abandoned us? Is this the end? Do we have any hope? And Ezekiel's going to deliver this message that, no, you, you've got plenty of hope. Um, Ruach dominates these verses, by the way, in this whole section. It, it, um, Ruach occurs ten times in this section we'll discuss of the Valley of Dry Bones. Um, you know, the Spirit takes Ezekiel and he places him in the valley, and then he sees that there's no breath in the bones, and then he wants to know, can they live? 
and, and so forth. Okay. Um, by the way, he summons the four winds <laughs> to come. Uh, it's all, all spirit-connected. Uh, spirit okay. Um, if we go back to the top of this section, it says, The hand of the Lord was on me, brought me out by a spirit, and set me down in the middle of the valley. It was full of bones. He led me all around them. There were a great many of them on the surface of the valley, and they were very dry. Then he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? I replied, Lord God, only you know. See, he asked this question, by the way. What's the question right here? Who's, who's asking that? God. And he's asking it to Ezekiel. By the way, what's Ezekiel referred to right here? Did you recognize that phrase? Yeah. Christ liked to call himself the Son of Man. Right? Making this clear connection to the one that will restore, the one that will bring life where there has only been death. So, he, he asked this question, and this question would have hit him right between the eyes because it would have hearkened to a question they themselves had asked back in chapter 33. If we go there to 33.10, Now as for you, son of man, say to the house of Israel, you have said this. So God is saying to Ezekiel to tell the house of Israel he knows what they've said. So these are the words of the house of Israel. You have said this, Our transgressions and our sins are heavy on us, and we are wasting away because of them. How can we survive? So now he's in the Valley of Dry Bones, and he says, Can they live? How, can you, how is it possible? Did they believe in resurrection at that point? They kind of had some glimpses up into then, right? Yeah, I mean, I think that there's probably multiple theological camps that existed at that point. But they certainly don't understand what, what's about to be revealed to them here yet. And then, verse 14, how can you survive? Here's the answer. Can the bones live? Here's the answer. I'm going to put a new spirit in you, and you will live. And I will settle you in your own land. Then you will know that I am the Lord. I have spoken, and I will do it. This is the de declaration of the Lord. And so, it's not just about the breath of life. By the way, if you read this whole section in Ezekiel, he breathes life into them, but it's not just the life. He's also going to give them this whole new spiritual life. And their whole, uh, their whole will is going to change because remember, they had physical life before, but they were rebellious. That's why they had to be sent into exile. But the, the thing that made them rebel, even that will be transformed, is what God's saying. And there's so many uh, kind of connections between this and Genesis. What, what happens in Genesis? God forms the man, right? That's what he does here. Forms the bones. Then he breathes the life into them. He breathes the life into the bones here. They live, and then, of course, he places them in the land. By the way, the word land in Hebrew is Adama that comes from the word Adam. He's going to take chaos and he's going to move it to order. This is what he did in the creation event. All Holy Spirit connected. Ezekiel is definitely an endemic figure. I mean, he is like, you know, embodies the start of this new creation uh, in the same way that we're going to ultimately see that Christ is the second Adam. And obviously, Ezekiel gets referred to as the Son of Man throughout the entire book. Okay, any thoughts or questions about that? Yes, sir. Jared mentioned um, Phyllis 
scoping or mm -hmm. something today is, is do you think this is one of those where it's ultimately is pointing to heaven yeah well i i think that uh correct i think that it's pointing to several things i think first of all it's point because we're going to see in a little bit this is going to extend beyond this nation of israel so this is going to point to the day of pentecost this is going to point to the resurrection of christ and the day of pentecost it's going to uh you know point to the day that the holy spirit can indwell all believers but then the ultimately i'm going to place you in the land is eschatological right that's looking to the very end when all things are fulfilled. And, you know, we would get a little in the weeds because, you know, there's a discussion of, you know, there's this whole de debate around are all of God's promises for Israel separate from the church and Israel going to have its legit literal fulfillments uh, separated on its own? Or is, it, is the church the fulfillment of, of all those things? It, that we don't need to get into that now because either way, when God's people are placed in the land, that's the end time. I mean, I mean, that's the end of time, right? It's past the day of judgment. You, you talk about creation. Um, like it's harking back to creation mm -hmm. and all that stuff, and I get that now. But um, it's, uh, when, when I listen to the Bible Project, they talk about that this is kind of what God does. It's creation and recreation mm -hmm. creation and recreation and all the way through the whole bible so that that helps me yeah see that. but that that's what he's about is creation without a doubt and we've seen that the holy spirit is integral to everything God does from a creation perspective. And so why this is going to become so powerful once we've studied all this, when we start to really understand the soteriological parts of, of the Holy Spirit's work, right? What, how he operates to bring about the salvation of the sinner. And then what he does immediately upon the salvation event, and then what he does to recreate that person and sanctify them and turn them into an imitator of Christ it's, we are seeing it all now. <laughs> I mean, all that's been laid, the foundation of all that's been laid in the Old Testament, but we think of the Holy Spirit as a New Testament concept. Does that make sense? Holy Spirit's involved in creation and recreation. And that's especially what's made very clear in this Ezekiel 37 passage on the discussion of the dry bones being made to, to come to life. Okay. Um, Ezekiel 39, 29. This is the final example in Ezekiel of, of Yahweh speaking of my ruach, my spirit. Um, it, it comes at the end of what's called the Gog Oracle, which is the Gog Oracle is an oracle of destruction and judgment that's going to come against the enemies of God. And um, it says, I will no longer hide my face from them, for I will pour out my spirit on the house of Israel. This is the declaration of the Lord God. So in the past, um, you know, the house of Israel was kind of separated from the idea of the Holy Spirit. Obviously, the Holy Spirit is going to be poured out on the house of Israel, but this also speaks to the future, this future day when all judgment will have taken place and uh, God's people will all receive the Holy Spirit. Don't forget we're grafted in. Correct. No doubt. See, Ezekiel's been shifting from past to future, past to future, but then... He has this thing that starts in, I think it's verse 21, where he says, but now, and he's talking, he brings them back to the present. Here's what's going to happen. Um, 
Okay. Notice, by the way, there's a connection between the Lord hiding his face and the pouring out of his spirit. Um, it's going to reverse. The pouring out of the spirit is going to reverse the process whereby Israel has been separated from God in exile. God seems like he's gone silent on them. But what he's saying is, that's not going to happen. I'm going to pour out my spirit on you, and then you're going to be connected to me intimately again. And I will be in relationship with you. And I'm going to remove uh, death and sin from your midst. In other words, when, when the Lord pours out his Ruach, it's going to ensure obedience. Which this has big soteriological implications. Because he who has my commands and obeys them, it is he who loves me. John 15, 7. Right? When we look at a person and they say they're a Christian and we don't see obedience, this is not me judging someone. I can't know what their eternal state is. But I can know what Scripture says. And Scripture says, mm, that's, a, that's a concern. Maybe that's not a saved person. Because when the Holy Spirit indwells you, you obey. What's the whole book of 1 John tell us? That if you are saved, you don't sin. If you sin, you're probably not saved. And that's what we see here in Ezekiel. Um, it's the remedy. So imagine how encouraging this would have been if you are the exiles in Babylon. All those questions have been answered that God hasn't abandoned you. He's not unfair. He's not unjust. He's not powerless. He hasn't left you. He's going to stay with you. And He's the answer. Jerusalem, by the way, isn't the answer. The temple, by the way, isn't the answer. What's the answer? His Spirit. His Holy Spirit is the answer. Okay. Any last thoughts or questions on Ezekiel? All right, so that leads us to the last section, which are the Minor Prophets, the Twelve, the Book of Twelve, as it's referred to sometimes. Um, there's only a very few overt references to the Holy Spirit in the Minor Prophets. We'll just touch on those. Um, the first one is in Micah 3.8. As for me, however, I am filled with power by the Spirit of the Lord, with justice and courage, to proclaim to Jacob his rebellion and to Israel his sin. Um, notice that the power of the Lord, or the Holy Spirit of the Lord, rather, empowers proclamation. Once again, the Holy Spirit allow, enables the person who's filled with the Holy Spirit to speak the truth um, and speak it boldly, filled with justice and courage to proclaim to Jacob his rebellion. Zechariah has a couple of references to the Holy Spirit. The word of the Lord came to Zechariah, the Lord of armies says this, Make fair decisions, show faithful love and compassion to one another. Do not oppress the widow or the fatherless, the resident alien or the poor, and do not plot evil in your hearts against one another. But they refused to pay attention and turned a stubborn shoulder. They closed their ears so they could not hear. They made their hearts like a rock so as to not obey the law or the words that the Lord of armies had sent by his spirit through the earlier prophets. Therefore, intense anger came from the Lord of armies. So, the, the Lord of armies, uh, by the way, in your King James, this is the Lord of hosts. The Lord of hosts, the Lord of armies, has prophesied how? 
earlier by his spirit, which is another reference where how we know that all of the prophets were uh, speaking by God's power and at God's authority. So are the host, are those the angels in heaven? Yes. Yes. And arguably the saints, the and I'm using that word in the first Peter sense, every believer that's gone before us. Um, so he answered me, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by strength or by might, but by my spirit, says the Lord of armies. How many of you all seen that quoted somewhere before? Heard it quoted, right? <laughs> what are you, great mountain? Before Zerubbabel, you'll become a plain, and he will bring out the capstone accompanied by shouts of grace, grace to it. This is the first of two oracles that are um, to try to get Zerubbabel to go rebuild the temple. Um, and what he says is um, there's a vision at the beginning of Zechariah chapter 4 of this menorah. Y'all know what a menorah is? The menorah is the seven, uh, I don't know, what's it, fingered, not fingers? Lampstand. Yeah, it's a lampstand, but it's seven, whatever those things are called. Anyway, and uh, in, in Zechariah chapter 4, the vision is of one that never goes out. It, it, it has, it's miraculously supplied with olive oil eternally, continually. And um, it, this is like kind of interpreting the vision, and it's because it, it's basically I'm trying to get you to go build the temple. And um, how is the temple going to get rebuilt? The temple is not going to get rebuilt by human ingenuity. The temple is not going to get rebuilt by human initiative. The, the temple is going to be built by His Spirit. The Holy Spirit will be what empowers the person, which actually harkens back to what we saw in the wisdom books because. What was the source of the craftsman's ability to craft and, and build things? It was the Holy Spirit, right? Um, okay, in Zechariah, um, or sorry, Haggai chapter 2, verse 4, 4 through 5, says, Even so, be strong, Zerubbabel. This is the Lord's declaration. Be strong, Joshua, son of Jehozadak. High priest, be strong, all you people of the land. This is the Lord's declaration. Work, for I am with you. The declaration of the Lord of armies. This is the promise I made to you when you came out of Egypt, and my spirit is present among you. Don't be afraid. This is the theme that we see repeated, is that the sufficient power to accomplish this great thing is going to be provided by the Holy Spirit. And again, this is about rebuilding the temple after the exile. Yeah, Zerubbabel, Zerubbabel, Zerubbabel. Um, he is an architect, as I understand it. And in Haggai one fourteen, uh, it says that his spirit has been stirred up, like God's working on him, getting him to contemplate doing it, and now. Where he's being told, look, just be courageous because my spirit's the one that's going to provide everything that's necessary to pull it off. Exactly. That's a good reminder. Yes. Um, it's, it's striking that in terms of both covenant keeping that we've just seen, keeping God's covenant, and in building the temple, the 
necessary resources are all from him. <laughs> Is there some tie to the Tower of Babel here? No. Well, I, I mean, not, not that it's a tie to the, the Tower of Babel, but the idea of building. Mm-hmm. No, I, I mean, I think that's a good thing that we can draw. Right. We can draw that when man sets his mind apart from God to doing things. You know, we even saw that in Isaiah when God uh, chastises Israel for making that covenant with Egypt without consulting him. And they were relying on their wisdom and their cunning and their strength to save themselves militarily. And God's like... What are you talking about? My spirit should have been consulted because my spirit would have provided your power to not have this military problem take place. So what you're saying is definitely true. When, when mankind sets out to do our own thing apart from God, uh, it can lead to disastrous consequences, whereas if we're submitting to his will, there's nothing we can't do. And in spite of all the odds. And, you know, um, I mean, if you read Micah and Zechariah, it's all about all the internal problems of why they couldn't rebuild the temple. And if you read Zechariah and Haggai, it's all about the external threats that existed. Um, and he's like, it doesn't matter. All the internal politics, I'll take care of that. All the external threats and the reasons why it won't work, the fact you don't have resources, the fact that the people will see you building and want to just come immediately murder you, that's going to all be taken care of. I will make sure it works and happens. Correct. Yep. To make all of it happen. No question about it. So, he, he, you know, if there's something to be done, it doesn't matter if you're ruler of the world, he can make it happen. That's right. So now we're going to just conclude. We're going to look at, we got to go quick because I want to try to be done with the Old Testament but this week. But um, the, old, the Holy Spirit in relation to soteriology, which is the doctrine of salvation in these books. We have a few references to that. And this is the most famous one that people know from Joel chapter 2, verse 28 through 32. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but it says, After this I will pour out my spirit on all humanity. Then your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will have dreams. And your young men will see visions. I will even pour out my spirit on the males and female slaves in those, in those days. So notice it says, He's going to pour out a spirit on all what in verse 28? Humanity, it's going to go far beyond the nation of Israel. Now, you may, reference, you may uh, recognize this, and the reason you would is because it's in Peter's sermon in Acts chapter 2. On the contrary, this is what was spoken through the prophet Joel. Peter is saying when, when the Holy Spirit has uh, come into the upper room, everybody's been baptized with the Holy Spirit, they're speaking in tongues, the people on the streets are going, what's going on with these people? They're drunk, it's so early in the morning. And... Um, uh, Peter gets up and says, what are you talking about? We're not Aggies. Of course we weren't drinking this early. And uh, that's a joke for Mike's cake. Anyway, so, um, no, he says, no, in the contrary, this is what the prophet Joel said. It will be in the last days, says God, I will pour out my spirit on all people. So he quotes Joel here at Acts chapter 2 and basically says, what Joel prophesied has just happened. It's just been fulfilled. And is that also being fulfilled in the future? Well, this is being fulfilled now forevermore with every believer that ever comes. The start of the church. Yes, the beginning of the church. Yes. And we'll talk about that a lot now that we, when we get into the New Testament and we get into, 
you know, all of the theology around the Holy Spirit's activity in salvation, his activity, uh, you know, the whole notion of the baptism of the Holy Spirit that takes place somewhere around salvation, depending on, you know, which school you're from, and then the sanctification process. And where it says, like, the sun will be turned to darkness. Mm -hmm. Was that talking about not only when it happened with Jesus? Well, this is a debatable topic, and this gets to the whole seeing multiple peaks all at the same time as a prophet. You know, like when he says, this will happen within this generation, the people in this generation will see all this happen. People think that, uh, that it was all literally fulfilled because the sun turned black at Jesus' crucifixion. The temple was destroyed. You know, God or Christ went up in the clouds. Did you have a question, Steve? No. Oh, yeah, I thought you saw you raise your hand. Okay. In Zechariah chapter 12, verse 10, it says, Then I will pour out a spirit, a grace and prayer on the house of David and the residents of Jerusalem, and they will look at me whom they pierced. They will mourn for him as one, mourn, one mourns for an only child and weep bitterly for him as one weeps for a firstborn. So this, has a ref this is a reference to, obviously, Someone's going to be pierced, and when that happens, God's Spirit's going to be poured out. I don't know if you've heard any stories that seem similar to that happening, but... Right. So, there's two key themes that emerge from uh, the Holy Spirit in the Minor Prophets. It's the divine force which animates human life. We saw that also in Ezekiel. And uh, no idol can possess breath. No idol possesses Ruach. Uh, the whole, God possesses all of it, and God is the giver of that life. Uh, human breath and therefore life is a gift that's made possible by him. And it's the, the Holy Spirit is the explicit instrument of the divine will. And it always relates to this kind of soteriological restoration of that which has been lost, or that which has died, or that which has gone astray, or that which has been disobedient. And God restoring His covenant through the power of the Holy Spirit, and then ensuring obedience to that covenant through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And it's promised here for the first time to all flesh, which is also groundbreaking if, you know, just at this point in history, that it's going to go beyond the house of Israel. It's going to be um, available to anybody who responds. Okay. Any thoughts or questions? All right, give yourselves a round of applause. You got through the Old Testament. That's good stuff. Wow. Did anyone hear about the uh, new discoveries of uh, uh, Dead Sea Scrolls yes. that they found? Well, I've heard about it, but I, I haven't really read yet. I need to get in there. Tell me, what's the? Give me the cliff notes. They, they found some. I think it was uh, pieces of uh, some of the minor prophets, and, uh, and so it's been sixty years since they discovered it. Yes. So they've discovered some more. Yes. And it's just wow. It is wow. But you you know when you go to Israel, the thing that always sticks out. Thanks for listening. We pray this has been edifying. If you've enjoyed the show, please give us a shout out on your favorite social media platform. Scott's username on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram is Scott Ross Online. 
That's Scott Ross Online, all one word. Also, please remember to go to scottrossonline.com to subscribe, catch up on past episodes, and discuss what you've learned with others. Until next time, continue to walk in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. God bless you.